0: I'm very excited about is that um, I'm really grateful for um, is that uh, Pastor Carabo and I have known each other for at least 10 years now, right? Um, since uh, 2011. And, and for us to just maintain that and keep connecting like this is such a privilege um, uh, as such especially for such a brother. And I thank you for this opportunity and thank you to the church as well and the leadership. Uh, Pastor Gianni, Thank you as well for just uh, accommodating me here and next time hopefully I will be here uh, with my family. Um, you would know a three month old baby runs the house so <laughs> if he says I'm not coming, I'm not coming <laughs> um, as such. so keep us in prayer and, and hopefully soon we will be here, all of us uh, I send you greetings from my wife as well she would have really loved to be here but um, next time once again thank you very much uh, for today, as we get into the preaching of the word, um, I want us to look at the book of Acts in chapter 12, and we will consider the first 11 verses of that chapter. Obviously, you need to look at the whole chapter to get the whole context, uh, but for this morning and in the interest of time, we'll just look at the first 11 verses, Acts chapter Acts chapter 12 from verses 1 to 11, as we consider a particular theme which I title, Consistent Faith. Um, In an inconsistent world Consistent faith in an inconsistent world What I will do is that I will read the passage And then pray And then summarize a few observations From the passage And then we'll proceed to apply it But then before I read the passage and pray And get into it I just want to summarize my theme Or my message in this way with an illustration Even as we get into it Consistent faith In an inconsistent world the idea here is simply this. Think of life um, as a journey. Um, for example, you'd be moving from uh, Rustenburg and you need to get to Pretoria, and you must get to Pretoria. And as you set off on your journey, and you're on your way, you realize that suddenly uh, there's a war in Ukraine, therefore the fuel prices have almost doubled. Right? What does that mean? You have to dig deeper into your pockets. You did not expect it, But then now, suddenly, it's part of your journey. What do you do? Do you turn back and say, well, in that case, I will not go to Pretoria? No. You'll have to make a plan, won't you? Maybe you say, then, I I had planned to have a meal along the way, some refreshments, but maybe I'll forego that so that I can fuel my car. As you continue along the journey, then, you expected it to be smooth. And as you checked on Google Maps, it didn't warn you that there were tolls along the road. But suddenly, you encounter a toll booth and they want their money as well. What do you do? Do you say, well, I won't proceed on this journey, I will stop and not go? No, you dig into your pocket further and you say, well, it's, it's uncomfortable, it, it wasn't part of the plan, but I must get to Pretoria, right? That remains that you must go. Along the journey as well, as you are traveling, you expect a smooth road, but suddenly you encounter bumps and portals, and it's really upsetting your journey and even perhaps damaging your car. What do you do? you press on. You don't turn back, right? As you proceed on your journey, maybe you encounter cops along the way and they spoil your day because they stop you and you wonder why are they not stopping everybody else. But then what do you do? You still continue on your journey. You see, you set off on a journey with a certain idea in your mind and in a certain way that you, the journey should be. But then as you proceed, you encounter bumps, right? You encounter challenges. You encounter barriers. But then what do you do because your focus you continue on the journey. So the journey does come with some inconsistencies, right? But then what remains consistent? Your desire to proceed and get to the destination. And that's how I would want you to look at it as you consider this theme. Consistent faith in an inconsistent world. In a world that is inconsistent, has ups and downs and barriers and some unforeseen circumstances, what is the one thing that should remain consistent? It is our faith. It is our faith. Our faith must be consistent because we serve a consistent God and his plan and his will is consistent. The bumps, the pitfalls, the challenges, the toll gates, and everything, they don't affect him. They don't affect him. And if our eyes are on him and we are walking with him on this journey of faith, then our faith must be consistent because we serve a consistent God whose plan and will for the world, for our lives, does not change. And that's the message for us this morning. Amen. Let's get into the book of Acts, chapter 12, the first 11 verses, and then I'll pray. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, guard yourself. And put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your clock around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come before you this morning, we are grateful for your world and we marvel at the fact that the plan of your salvation through Christ and even now as we consider what you're doing through the church that you established it is amazing how we see that this plan has been consistent for the last 2,000 years For 2,000 years, the world has experienced ups and downs and such great change that you cannot put the two worlds together, the time of Christ and the time that we are in now, and look at it and say it's the same. The world has changed so much. It's as if you're talking about a different existence. But we marvel at the fact that even though the world has changed so much, As far as your plan of salvation, as far as your kingdom, nothing has changed. This same message that was preached about the gospel at the founding of the church thousands of years ago is the same message that we proclaim even today. The same salvation that was there all those centuries ago is the same salvation that you extend to us. Same Lord, same message, same Holy Spirit same miraculous acts where you bring many into your fold and throughout that time your consistent plan for the church has stood firm, consistent with your promise that not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Many, many challenges have come upon the church because not only has the world changed but with all those changes the church has faced great hostility, great threats and even now we see here from the beginning The church was always under threat. Threat of extinction. Threat of being stopped and the plan of salvation being halted. But nothing prevailed. Even today, O Lord, as we consider what you have for us, that the world is ever-changing and very inconsistent in terms of our own personal lives, in terms of even how we relate to the world as Christians, we know that one thing remains consistent. You and your plan. And therefore then, Oh Lord, we pray that you strengthen our faith, that we may remain consistent in that as well. We pray this believing and trusting in you, and thanking you for your word, because we know you are true and consistent as our Savior. Amen. Consistent faith in an inconsistent world. In life, we all have expectations, don't we? We have certain desires for our lives. And expect that those desires will be fulfilled. That's why we think a certain way. And that's why we even plan a certain way. We get an education. And why do you get an education? It's because you have the idea that at the end of this, I'll be able to get a job. We work hard. Why do you work hard? Because there's a salary at the end of the month or there's a promotion to be expected even after some time. We have expectations. And when we are mature enough, and believe we've grown enough, what is the expectation that we get married and even start our families, and that even with that, we will enjoy ourselves in our own families and live happily ever after? Those are our expectations. And of late, something that is very fashionable, what do we do? We take care of our bodies, strive to eat healthy diets, go to the gym. Why? Because we have an expectation that at the end of the day, we will be healthy and live a fruitful life. But then if you've lived long enough you will know that your expectations are not always met. Are they? They're not always met. Yes, you do go and out there and you strive and get an education, uh, perhaps even take a loan so that you may service your education, but then at the end of the day what happens? Your so-called dream job or even any job at all does not come. You plan your life a certain way but then it doesn't always work like that. You desire to get married, but then you realize, well, Lord, where is that one for me? Why is there a delay? I expected to have been married by such a time. Or you do get married, and you are happy and very joyful during, when you are giving the vows, and you make all kinds of promises that you have no idea what it means to fulfill. And then you start having, experiencing issues in marriage that you thought would never come. You thought it was all bliss looking in, looking in from the outside. Even worse, what if your spouse then dies after just a few years? One of my closest friends, uh, the, the spouse just suddenly died out of COVID, and they were so young in marriage under nine, under five years, and it crushed him. It crushed him to the point of despair, unknown. What do you do then when life's expectations are not met? And that's why our passage is very important to us because you live long enough and you realize that it's as if we live in a world out of control because I cannot predetermine a course, pursue it, and expect that everything will turn out the way I had envisioned it in my personal life, in my church life, in society in general, and in everything that seems to affect me. I plan things a certain way. And then things happened different way. You know of all those testimonies and experiences of people who had planned things in a certain way and then COVID happened and everything shattered and everything stopped. I was told of someone who had just before COVID happened, um, they had bought a bus that transits and goes uh, across border into Zimbabwe and they had invested all this money and taken a facility from the bank. And then just as they had done that, COVID happens and then all transportation has shut down. And you begin to wonder, where is God in all of this? Where was there no warning? Why didn't he prevent me from making such a decision? We plan, but it fails. Why? Because it seems like this world is out of control and no one can control it. The comfort that comes to us this morning then is that we must realize God is in control in a world that is out of control. And that when we look to God, then we know there is consistency with God because his plan never fails. He will always execute his plan, regardless of how out of control the world seems. When COVID happened, people were wondering. God has commanded us to fellowship, not to forsake the gathering of the saints. But then COVID comes and says, forsake the gathering of the saints. It's decreed by law. You have no choice. And the question is, what is going to happen to the church? And this plan of God as far as the gates of hell do not prevail brothers and sisters we sit here this morning as proof, as evidence that God's plan is always consistent not even COVID that with the devastation that is caused is enough to withstand the church is enough to withstand God and his plan and so we trust him and as we trust him then despite the ups and downs of life despite the inconsistencies Our faith must remain consistent in an inconsistent world. Amen. Let us make a few observations on this passage and then apply it. In verse 1 it says, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. At that particular time we find that the Jews were colonized by Rome, by the Romans. They were the superpower of the world at that particular time and obviously controlled the world. And they ruled through provinces. And as far as the provinces were concerned, when you encounter the region of Judah, it was ruled by the Herodian dynasty at that particular time. And and even in the Bible, in the Gospels, when you read, you find that Herods are prominent at that particular time. In Matthew chapter 2, You see Herod the Great wanting to do what? To kill Jesus because he's their promised Messiah and to kill him in his infancy. And then midway through the Gospels, we encounter Herod Antipas, the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And then later towards the end of the Gospels, we still see Herod Antipas as well when Jesus is brought to him um, in Luke chapter 3. So Herods are prominent in the scriptures because they were the rulers at that particular time. And now we encounter another Herod in this particular instance, Herod Agrippa, and we see him dealing with the church in the same way that the other Herods in the gospel dealt with believers. This is how you should look at it. When you're looking at Herod the Great and Herod Agrippa, you see that Christ at infancy, there was a Herod who wanted to kill him, right? And destroy the plan of God's salvation. And then as well, the church... At its infancy as well, there's another Herod who wants to destroy the church and thereby stop God's plan of salvation. So that's how you should look at it. Great, uh, great men with great political power wanting to hinder God's plan of salvation. And for Herod, this would have been key because this particular Herod was popular amongst the Jewish people. And for some time, as this people, as the church was spreading, he saw the church as a threat to his people to his popularity rather because then his popularity is threatened threatened by a movement and a leadership that is so influential that it's as if it's swaying the people that's why even in acts chapter 4 you see the religious leaders come against the apostles and command them to stop preaching at that particular time they're facing religious persecution um, 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 under the jewish leaders religious leaders and now they're facing political persecution because you have another herald who wants to destroy the church And it's a case of simply strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, very simple. Herod doesn't go for a lay person who people don't know, he goes straight for the apostles, the leaders of the church. And verse two, it says, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So because the church is a threat to his popularity, it's not consistent with his political agenda, He decides to do something about it and his plan in terms of extinguishing this particular movement is simply to go for the leadership and thereby then um, the church would be destroyed. Earlier obviously in chapter 7, James had been martyred, had been killed, had been executed, but this time we see it going to a higher level because now we are dealing with the whole apostle. And then in verse 3 we continue to read that When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So the idea here is that he was executing his own agenda, wanting to extinguish the church. And in terms of pursuing that agenda and achieving it, there was also another consequence in terms of not only was he already popular, but now his popularity is increasing. Because as he executes an apostle, the people are very happy. The Jews are very happy. Why? Because they, came, they, came, they, they did not um, support the agenda of the church because, first of all, the Jews considered the church to be inconsistent with the law of Moses. And then, another major issue, they did not appreciate the preaching to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles would also receive salvation. And so when they saw Herod acting out in this way, they said, yes, you have been popular amongst us, but now even more popular because you are dealing with an issue that is pressing to us. You're extinguishing the very church that we're against because it's against the Mosaic law and they're preaching to Gentiles, which we are also against. And so it pleased them that he executed an apostle and he says, you know what? I will enhance this. I will take this political agenda further. Let me take another apostle. And then obviously the logical conclusion is he would have gone after one apostle after the other, after one apostle after the other. But then you see that when it comes to Peter, he, do- he doesn't execute him immediately. He takes a different approach because we read there in verse 3, still the commentary there, now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So it was during a holy time. And as far as it being a holy time, a holy season um, in Israel, in Judah at that particular time, then you cannot carry out such acts uh, uh, at that time that's how you see even when jesus is crucified um uh, the cross with the two thieves they want them to die quickly they say let's go break their legs so that they die quickly right because we are now entering into a holy season we're entering into the passover and we don't want to enter that time with people hanging on the cross because we don't do such acts at that particular time so by god's providence it's at the time of unleavened bread and so he doesn't execute peter immediately in verse 4 it continues to say, when he had seized him, he put him in prison. I can't kill you immediately. It's a holy season, so let me put you in prison. Um, delivering him um, to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover, so after we are done with this holy season, uh, to bring him out before um, the people. And you see something very interesting there, that he puts four squads of soldiers um, to guard to Peter, and, and here you get the idea that um, Herod knew something about the church, right? He knew something about the church. I say this because earlier in chapter 4 of Acts, you read of that account whereby the apostles are in prison, and then what happens? They're freed by an angel, right? Miraculously. So he knew something about the church, and he knew enough to know that, you know what, there has been an episode of prison break before, and now in the following season, I want to ensure that there's no prison break, and so I'll put four squads of soldiers to guard them. there will be round-the-clock activity as far as the soldiers are concerned because I don't want them to escape. I don't want my testimony to be the same as that of the religious leaders who, when they imprisoned the apostles, they escaped or were released from prison. I need to show that I have greater power and authority. So four squads of soldiers, round-the-clock guard, and Peter should not escape. So it continues in verse 5. To say, so Peter was kept in prison, in the prison, but prayer for him was being fervently made by the church to God. And so they prayed. And they prayed earnestly, saying, Peter is in prison. We've seen what has happened to James. We need to pray so that something may happen. It doesn't tell us the content of their prayer in this particular instant, but we know what they were praying for. We know what they are praying for because we have such a prayer given within such a context in Acts chapter 4 from verses 24 to 30. In Acts chapter 4, amidst the persecution that was coming upon the church and upon the church leaders um, from the Jewish religious leaders, they made a prayer. And in this specific prayer, they prayed to the sovereign God, the one who is in control. And their prayer had two emphases. It was twofold. In Acts chapter 4, they prayed, first, God who is sovereign, who is in control. First, address the threats against Christianity, against the church that are coming upon us. Address the persecution. And then secondly, give us the boldness to preach. Within the context of persecution, they prayed, God, deal with the persecution. But then amidst the persecution, we still have to preach. So give us the boldness to preach so that we will not waver in this. So challenges were coming to them, and they were saying, God, help us, strengthen us. And that was the essence of the prayer. In Acts chapter 4, in the prayer, in verse 24, they begin by saying, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they're appealing to God as the creator of everything, the one who is in control, the one who can do something about this particular situation, right? Do something. And as you continue in that prayer they say in verse 26 Lord within the context of this persecution the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed it's like lord they're saying they're saying lord they gathered together like this just as they had gathered against Christ verse 27 for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. It was insurmountable pressure. Against the persecution they faced in chapter 4, they said, Lord, it's like it's us against the world. It's the church against the world. We have Herod on one side, we have Pilate on one side, the Gentiles on one side, and even the Jews. It's us against the world. And this is the persecution that came against Jesus as they acknowledge here. And now it's coming upon us because of our association with Jesus. It's us against the world. Any and every people group you can imagine are against us. Any nation, any political establishment is against, it's against us. And they continue in verse 28 to pray and say to do whatever your hand and your plan are predestined to take place in terms of putting Jesus on the cross and then within this context as i've said earlier they prayed again and said in verse 29 and now lord look upon their threats deal with this persecution first of all and then grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness they said lord you can see you are sovereign the same persecution came upon christ we are following the same persecution has followed us it's coming from all sides You are sovereign, you are in control, deal with this persecution and also give us the boldness to continue preaching that your work would not stop. And that is the prayer that they were making at that particular time again because it was the round two, saying, God, once again, we are coming to you to pray. In verse 6, and here it's interesting because the writer fast forwards a week later. Um, The feast of unleavened bread, which we read about earlier, takes about seven days. And here now the writer fast forwards after seven days, after a week has passed, and takes us a week later. In verse 6, it says, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, right? So now Herod is ready to bring him forward because the feast is done after a week. So Peter had been in, in prison for a week. And now that the feast is done, he's saying, bring him forward. It's time now to deal with him. It's no longer the holy season. And it says there, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, so the guard was still heavy a week down the line. And it says, bound with two chains. So Peter had a soldier on either side, and on either side he was bound to one, on one soldier on one side and bound to another soldier on the other side. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the passage said, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. It's like a maximum security prison. That's the idea that we get here in terms of what the people are doing obviously because Herod had to keep him in prison for a week and he needed to ensure that within that week he wouldn't escape especially because of the context earlier that we we know of in chapter 4 whereby they had escaped and I find this section to be very interesting in terms of just um, pondering uh, uh, upon it because we have to consider uh, two things in terms of what may be going on in Peter's mind and also, what may be going on in Herod's mind. You see, for Peter, this would be very anxious moments to say, Yes, I've been in prison one, for one week, but now it's time. It's time for my head to be chopped off. The week is done. So, this must have been anxious moments for him. But then for Herod, obviously, it was probably different. Because in his mind, he's thinking, If I can secure such a high profile prisoner for a year, for a week, then it means truly I am powerful. Because earlier, when the Jewish religious leaders had captured them, they escaped. But looked, not a day, not two days, not three, not four, not five, but I kept him for a week. Look at how great I am. I've already accomplished something which the religious leaders couldn't. And so he must have been overconfident. By this time, he's definitely overconfident. Even though Peter would have been, a- been anxious, and the people anxiously waiting to see how God would respond to their As we continue in verse 7, we begin to see how God stepped in. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. You see, this is interesting timing, isn't it? Because like I have said, God, if you are going to deliver him, then just do it immediately. We always have this issue with God when when it comes to timing, don't we? It's like, God, I want this, but then do it now. Not a week later, not a year later, do it now. We always have an issue of timing. And it's very interesting that God is waiting here and saying, no, let the feast end. Because Peter would be at his most anxious and Herod would be at his most confident. And that is when I will step in. I want to maximize the opportunity. So much as God's timing causes us anxious situations, we should always just learn to wait patiently, longingly, because we know ultimately with him time is not an issue. Time is never an issue. When God stepped in into this situation, the timing was perfect regardless of the time. And he still accomplished that which he pleased. The timing never affected anything as far as his plan is concerned. And we see here, obviously, a supernatural response from God, so that it's not left to doubt in terms of what was happening. It wasn't just Peter who had crafted a, a means of escape, or the people as they were praying strategized over one week in terms of an escape plan. He did it in such a way that it would be left without any doubt that this was a supernatural act a light shines in the cell first of all to just establish the angel's supernatural credentials the same thing happens to Paul in terms of a great light in Acts chapter 9 and then we see as well his chains fall off his hands again the angel acting supernaturally there and then the angel speaks to him because you see Peter is still very drowsy and asleep and later of course you read he doesn't perceive that what is happening is actually real but he thinks he's dreaming In verse 8, it says, And the angel said to him, Guard yourself and put on your sandals. It's like he still doesn't understand what is happening. It's too good to be true for him. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Come, get up quickly. We need to go. And so the angel takes him out. And as we read in verse 9, it says, And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real. thought he was seeing a vision you see this is a man who with all his anxiety it's like he had made peace with the fact that James died I'm just awaiting my turn it's only a matter of time so even what is happening around me now it's too good to be true it's too good to be true that I must be dreaming I must be seeing a vision it's like a fantasy you know how sometimes you dream or daydream about what you'd like to see even though you know it won't happen That is what he thought he was doing. It was too good to be true because in in his mind, I must be dying. In verse 10, it continues to say, When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. Again, another supernatural act. It opened by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him the angel would depart from him immediately because after that, Peter would know what to do. You see, in Acts chapter 4, when they were released by the angel, they were obviously commissioned again to go about preaching the gospel. This time, round two, the angel is saying, you know, I don't even need to talk to him. He knows what comes next. He must continue preaching the gospel. Nothing has changed. Be consistent in your faith and in your preaching despite the situations that are come upon you And that's why, obviously, God has rescued him. When Peter came to himself, verse 11, he said, now he comes to himself. He said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And hereby, Peter is simply confirming God's act of grace upon his life. It's as if he's saying, Lord, you answered the prayer that the people were making for me. The same prayer that we made in Acts chapter 4, appealing to the sovereign Lord to deal with this issue and to give us the boldness to preach, as they made that prayer, Peter is acknowledging that, God, you answered. You answered. And once again, he demonstrated that he is sovereign and he is controlled over the affairs of the church and in the world, and truly the gates of hell would not prevail against it. As far as God's plans are concerned, they remain consistent. Amen. As we begin to apply, let us look at the importance of this passage. First of all, to James himself, the one who was put to death. Let us consider how this passage was important to him. You see, one thing We know about james and obviously john his brother as well is that they prided themselves in acquiring or achieving positions of prominence and privilege right as a tag team the two of them one thing we see in mark uh, chapter 10 and this is a familiar passage in verse 37 and they say to the Lord, very boldly so, and it's interesting how they leave, they are 12, but they leave the other apostles behind. And they say, we as brothers, the two of us, let's go to the Lord and approach him. And they say, Lord, the two of us as we are like this, please, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory, right? They had what? Expectations. And they're saying, Lord, this is what you expect for our lives. Yes, we are the 12 here and this is good, but then the two of us want a special privilege, a special position in your kingdom. This narrative in Acts chapter 12 is very important to James for this particular reason. It seems to be inconsistent, one, with his expectations, with his desires, but then also with his position. Because ultimately, he is an apostle. He is numbered one amongst the twelve. He is privileged as far as his position is concerned. And because of his privileged position then, and we explored this theme a bit yesterday, you would think that because he's a founding pillar of the church, that God would say, because of your privilege and position, then I will sustain you. And that is the expectation. That, Lord, you need me to establish your church. After all, I'm an apostle. I'm very unique. I am numbered amongst the twelve. And in this very early stage of the church, you need me. Therefore, as the church is facing persecution, then you must protect me. But we see something that is inconsistent with that thinking, isn't it? As he's being persecuted here, and despite his privilege and prominent position as an apostle, is put to death and God oversees that he doesn't step in to save him what then do we see here this is very important for us to see that despite the position of privilege you may have because of life's inconsistencies you must walk by faith you must walk by faith You can't simply say that I walk by this position. I walk by this privilege. Because this position and privilege comes with certain expectations which must be realized. Here for James, it was important to him to realize that no, despite that privilege, despite that position, you are like anybody else. Just as much as the lay person or someone in the background as far as the church is concerned. You must walk by faith regardless of your status something that is very interesting and and you cannot miss this when you look at this context and who we are dealing with in this particular time the apostles themselves wielded such great supernatural power something that we've never even seen before today that an apostle could walk in here and if someone was terminally ill instantly they could be healed If someone was crippled from birth and there's no hope for them in terms of walking, regardless of their being crippled, just at the sight and the presence of the apostle and at their word, instantly they could begin to walk. If someone was dead, by God's providence, they would be raised from the dead. Such is the great power that they wielded. But then look at the irony with such great power in their hands, such as to even raise people from the dead at their own death in the face of their own death they can do nothing don't you find that to be very interesting that with all that miraculous power at their disposal and they wielded it so greatly and we see it seen so it's so prominently at the face of their own persecution they could never wield that power what does that tell you regardless of that prominence that position they had to walk by faith the same standard was there for everyone, regardless of who they were. Because that is the only consistency we are, we, are, we, are, we are guaranteed in this particular world. Regardless of who you are in terms of your position and what you think should come with it, you will experience ups and downs. And what should remain consistent? Your faith. Because that is the calling of God upon everyone. Your faith. You have faith in God that says, you know what, God, as I walk in this world, it is you that I need. It is you that will protect me. It is you that will keep me. It is you that has numbered my days. It is not this particular privilege. And this was important to James because of such a reason. Regardless of the position, you walk by faith. This was also very important to Peter himself. It was very important to Peter. One thing that we find very interesting when it comes to Peter is that God had already told him. He had made it plain. And he had said in John chapter 21, listen, Peter, verses 18 and 19, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. There's a path you took. You could determine what you wanted to do and you did it. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And in verse 19, this he said to show him by by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. You see, Peter knew very well that there's a chosen path for me. And that path is eventually leading to my death. And that I am to follow the Lord in this particular path. You see, you look at this narrative. As Peter is in prison. Over seven days. What do you think he's thinking about? He's thinking about this passage in John. Where God told him you will die. And his mind is thinking. I saw James head being chopped off. And now I'm in prison awaiting my head to be chopped off. This must be the fulfillment of what Christ spoke about. Surely this is this must be it. I am about to die. Such that when the angel is even coming to release him. He says you know what this must be a dream because this is not possible I'm on a certain path and it's impossible for me to be delivered it is impossible I am destined to die but then what happens we see God delivering him we see God delivering him why is this important this is very important to Peter because one thing it must show him in this particular instance is that yes you will die but you will not die at the hands of men you will die at the hand of God. This is very important because Peter is saying that despite the prophecy that was upon my life, God is still protecting me. He is keeping me. It's as if God is telling Peter, yes, you are destined to die for the gospel, but I've also destined you to live for the same gospel because I still want you to preach. And if you are going to die, it's going to be on my own terms and not Herod's terms. So this was very important to Peter to also understand that, you know what? God is in control of my life. This world is out of control, but God is in control of my life. I will die, but at his hands. I will die for the gospel, but now I live for it. Because my hand, my life is in his hands, not in hell. And so as Peter journeyed through life, he said, God has destined a path for me. But it doesn't mean that this is the expectation with each and every instance. You see, with James, his head is chopped off in the same incident, but with Peter, his head remains intact on his shoulders. Despite the same prayer, we see that James is put to death, but Peter continues to live. Same circumstances, different outcomes. What does that tell you about this world, about this life? There will be inconsistencies. I was in the same pot, in the same situation with James. He got his head chopped off. I got to live another day to proclaim the gospel. Surely then, Peter, you must walk by faith. Because the path that you are on has been determined by God, regardless of what it brings. You are on a path that has been destined by God. So you look at the privilege, you look at the path, and you walk by faith because of the inconsistencies that may come along the way. This passage is also very important to John the Apostle. This narrative is very important to John. He was the brother of James, the one whose head has been chopped off. You see, something that we've alluded to here is that These were brothers who prided themselves in being prominent as far as the Lord's kingdom is concerned. And when it comes to themselves, they had separated themselves from the apostles and said, God, as far as we are concerned, like I said, much as we are 12, we want to be privileged. From this, we get the idea that these two were a tag team much as they were amongst the 12, they considered themselves to be uniquely different and blessed, and they considered themselves or desired themselves or had a fantasy that they would have some form of tag team whereby they would serve together and hopefully receive a special blessing from the Lord. So yes, we are 12, but we are a unique couple as far as we are brothers, and we want to do our own thing, and they must have had a fantasy of we will carry out ministry together. So perhaps in their minds, even as they make this request to the Lord that they may have prominent positions in this kingdom, maybe they thought they would have a long life of ministry together, right? Establishing a church, St. James and St. John's Baptist Church, right? Or establishing a ministry outreach, Zebedee and Sons Ministries, missions. This must have been what had been going into their mind because they considered themselves to be uniquely blessed, and wanted themselves to carry out ministry in such a way. To say, Lord, give us a privilege that is unique to the 12, because that's what we want. And in their mind, they must have thought, yeah, and because of that, we will enjoy a long life of ministry together. That was the expectation, right? That was the expectation. But then what do we see? Something that is inconsistent with their expectation. And you cannot miss the irony. These are two brothers who set themselves out to serve together. But then God says, this is the expectation that I will give you. Oh, this is the um, path that I will give you. In your expectation to serve together in ministry, establish a t- church together, establish a mission outreach together, this is what I will do. I will take the life of one of you as the first apostle to be killed and the other brother, you'll be the last surviving apostle. Look at the irony. they expected to serve together in longevity. And God says, I'll take one of you as the first one, and I'll take the other one as the last. And this was very important for John to see that I may have had an expectation. I may have had a desire and even expressed it to the Lord. I may have fantasized about this or that in terms of serving with my brother. And the unique privilege that we even sought in front of the Lord. But God had other ideas. You will not serve with him. You will not. You see, in in Mark chapter 10, sorry, in verse 38, as they sought this special privilege, God said to them, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And then in verse 39, they say, yeah, we are able. And then Jesus says to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. You will know pain. And for James, the pain was to be martyred early on in his ministry, painfully. And what was the pain for John? To endure decade after decade of ministry, thinking of what could have been. Imagine the pain of thinking that they would serve together for a long time. Only for God to say, I will take this one as the first one. And you, I will not take you a year later just to minimize the pain. I will not take you two years later or five years later just to minimize the pain. I will take you decades later. In fact, I'll make sure you're the last surviving one. And you'll have to go through life, through ministry with that pain of knowing that your brother whom you hope to serve with throughout your life was taken as the first apostle. And you will live decades with that pain. One thing we see about John as well is that this passage taught him you cannot live by fantasy. You cannot live by what you think could be. You cannot think by what you envision as you're happily ever after. Life is not about fantasy. It is about faith. Again, it is about faith. It is about faith. God gives, gave the privilege. He, set Pete, he gave James and John a privilege. He set Peter on a path. And now with John, he gives him pain. And he's saying, forget that fantasy. I want you to walk by faith because it's not a fantasy that is coming. But it is pain. And pain which you will endure for decades. But you must remain consistent in your faith and serve me. And he endured great pain. When you see in his writings, he writes about false teachers, about persecution, the great pain he went through in ministry, but then also of knowing that my brother is not here to see this or to serve together. That is life. And that was the life of an apostle. It will come with inconsistencies. It will come with barriers, with challenges. It will also come with pain. And it is from the Lord. In a life that is inconsistent and comes with such pain that we do not envision and do not expect and do not want, inconsistent with our desires, as we endure pain, we must remain consistent in our faith, knowing full well that God remains in control despite our expectations. This passage was also important to the other apostles. And we cannot miss what is happening here Especially in light of Acts chapter 2. It is important to the apostles because. The apostles had what you may call a strategic plan. They had a strategic plan. In Acts chapter 1 rather. You see them coming and gathering together after the Lord has ascended. And they said according to the strategic plan. According to the blueprint. We are supposed to be 12. Therefore we must replace Judas. Because we must maintain consistency, we must maintain the plan, we proceed as 12. But something that is very interesting in this particular passage, as we read in Acts chapter 12, they do not go back to that strategic plan once one of the apostles dies. They do not regroup and say, let's go back to the blueprint, this is the strategic plan, Let us replace James now that he has been martyred. We have to proceed as 12. They do not do that. Because they look at the circumstances under which James has died. And they see that this is death. Not because, like Judas, one who betrayed the Lord. But this is death that has come upon one who was serving the Lord. And with that they understand that yes, much as we plan. And much as this is the strategic plan we will not always be the 12. We will not always be the 12. The plan will not be consistent. At one point, we'll be 10. At another point, we'll be 8. At some point, will be 5. And guess what? At some point, only one of us will be alive. And so the strategic plan wasn't always going to be consistent. It is in line with Proverbs 19, verse 21, that familiar passage. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In all their planning, they are to come to a place and realize that, yes, we will plan and we will have desires and we will plan to execute. But at the end of the day, God may alter the plan because he may have a variation of the plan or a totally different plan. And him being the sovereign Lord, his plan will stand. So what then do we do? The apostles needed to understand that, yes, in life we have expectations, therefore we plan. But the plan may not be consistent with God's plan. Therefore, as we execute, we know that God may change things or do something totally different. So in that inconsistency, what do we do? We remain consistent in our faith. We remain consistent in our faith, knowing full well that God's purposes are the ones which will stand, not our own. And in light of that, it's important to them to understand that this is not Acts chapter 1 once again. You do not need to keep on replacing the apostles. You do not need to do that. God's plan is what will stand. And to the glory and honor of the Lord, we are gathered here today. The plan of God is still sure. It's still standing. And there's not even one surviving apostle glory to god this is also important to believers and specifically the believers who are praying for peter as they prayed we understood that the prayer was twofold right in terms of god address the persecution and then god give us the boldness to preach and in their praying given the dire circumstances. Perhaps in their minds as well, they would have thought, well, even as we pray, maybe maybe he will be executed. Because you remember as you read down the narrative, when the girl comes to tell them, Peter is at the door, they say, no way. It is impossible. It can, but you are praying for his release, but no, it's, it's impossible that God answered that prayer. But I'm praying for him to be released, yes, but I don't believe he's going to answer that prayer. Because I think he may die. This is not prison break. It's been seven days. It can't be Peter. And then they say, okay, maybe it's his angel. So they'd rather go to the extreme and say, maybe it is is his angel. And go to that extreme rather than believe, yeah, it is Peter the dog. That is us sometimes, isn't it? (laughs) When we pray. It's like, God, this is tough. I'll just pray as a formality. Because I must pray. I don't want you to catch me unaware and have a case against me. Let it be recorded that I prayed. Uh, But maybe I'm expecting something different. I'm expecting something different. This is very important to them and to us, right? Because God answers the prayer differently to the expectation, much as they prayed. You see, this is very important to us because the prayer doesn't start in Acts chapter 12. It starts in Acts chapter 4. And this is a consistent prayer that they're making, right? God, do something about the persecution. Give us the boldness to preach. God, protect us. You're sovereign. You are the one who has given us this mission. Protect us. And as they consistently make this prayer in Acts chapter 4, you see that there are different outcomes. Because as they make this prayer, despite the prayer, in one instance, James is executed. But then in another instance, Peter is delivered. How is it that you make the same prayer but with different outcomes? Same prayer, different outcomes. What does that show us? What does that show us? That in our petitions, in our prayers, much as we pray and we must, we always go back to that familiar phrase. Lord, let your will be done. Because with the same prayer, God may respond differently. When we pray, and we must, ultimately, we must expect that God may respond in one of several ways. In one instance, James would be put to the sword. In another instance, Peter will be delivered and so we should have expectations as far as God's response to prayer that he may respond variantly to our expectations. What does that tell us? That our faith must remain consistent again. We must remain consistent in our faith. In our petitions, regardless of the answer and regardless of the answer we expect, we must be able to know that God your will will be done and you will respond to this prayer in line with your will and when you do, ours then is to respond by faith to say, God, your will has been done and not to say perhaps it's an angel at the door. So the same in our prayers and petitions. We align them to God's will and by faith we have an expectation that his will will be done. This passage is also important to non-believers. It's also important to non-believers. And specifically to Herod and the Jews who sought to persecute the church. In verse 11, first of all, we see that the expectation is cut short. References made to the expectation of Herod and the Jews in terms of the wanted Peter dead, but he was delivered. And as you go on to read in the narrative, verses that we didn't explore we see another angel at work we see another angel at work still within the same chapter and this time he's doing something differently with Peter he executed deliverance but now he's executing judgment further down the line in verse 23 and this is what we see in verse 23 because we see an angel coming against Herod in a political rally that was where people had gathered to praise him. And God executes him. And God's executing executes him. And as he executes him, you continue to read in verse 24. And this is very profound. Because it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. Same thing that had happened in chapter 8 when the church was being persecuted. And again... This is inconsistent. It is not what we would expect. It is not what Herod was expecting as he's persecuting the church. It is not what the Jews are ex- expecting as the church is being persecuted, nor even the Gentiles that were singled out in the prayer as well. They expected that as the church is being persecuted, then it would die out. People would be deterred from following the Lord. They would say, This is too much. How can I follow the Lord at the expense of my life? And God is saying, I know what you expect, but I will act inconsistently to that. And amidst the persecution, verse 24 concludes and said, the word of God increased and multiplied. And of course, the church likewise did. No amount of persecution was able to come against God's plan. God acts inconsistently to what we would think at times, doesn't he? He does things inconsistently to what we would expect. And the reason why he acts as such is because he expects us to walk by faith. You think because of your prominent position then something, then these are the expectations and then God does something different. You think you're on a particular path like peter i'm going to die today and then god does something different you have a fantasy that you're going to fulfill this great life of ministry alongside your brother then god says no but i'm bringing you pain it's not about a fantasy you make a prayer and expect a different outcome god says one prayer i can answer it in various ways so then in this particular instance i'll do something differently you expect that the church is being persecuted And that it will die God is saying no But in that instance you will see My word will multiply instead And God is saying In all these inconsistencies I want you to be consistent in your faith Because whenever you see a different outcome It is in line with me Fulfilling my plan Because my purposes will stand In this inconsistent world I will act variously to carry out my plan And in the end Despite what Herod was doing My word increased my word increased. And this is what we even say, we see in Hebrews chapter 11. This seeming inconsistency, as we ponder upon the heroes of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 34, it says, By faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. But then in verse 37, it says, Again, by faith, some were killed with the sword. Consistent faith, but inconsistent outcome. It's the same faith. With the same faith, some escaped the sword. With the same faith, some were put to the sword. And here, God is telling us look at what is happening to James. Look at what is happening to Peter. And look at what is happening all around you. You're seeing inconsistencies but I am still inconsistent with my plan. And I use those inconsistencies to carry out my plan. What I desire of you is to walk by faith. And despite the fact that the outcome will be different for different people and at different times, one thing is sure, my purpose will stand. And because you trust in me and you don't know that my purpose is stand, will stand, remain consistent in your faith. And brothers and sisters, that's the only way we can make it through this world. Because who knows what awaits you tomorrow? Who knows what awaits you tomorrow in the name of the Lord? Even as you sit there, just think about your life. How many things that you envisioned and planned came to pass as you desired or actually failed? How many of you thought that one year down the line, two, three, four, five, you'd be here even this morning? How many of you chatted across and said this is what my life will be looking like on this particular morning in 2022 and it turned out to be totally different. God is saying when you see all that first of all look at what I'm doing with my church and look at the experiences that my people are going through but look at me ultimately and see that I remain consistent. My plan will never fail my word continued to increase despite what was happening around my people and that truly ultimately even today because of my consistency we are able to be here this morning and so we walk by faith in a world that is inconsistent such that regardless of what will come out there against us regardless of how events are orchestrated we have that mind to say but i'm in the hands of the lord i'm in the hands of the lord and one thing is sure As I walk with him, as I follow him, he has guaranteed me that by faith, in the end, all things work out together for good to them that follow him. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you've been good to us. In this narrative, we see that we are not you And because we are not you, we are not as wise as you, or not as powerful as you. Only you are able to control this world that is out of control because of sin. Only you are able to chart a course and carry out events and purposes according to your will. Only you are able to determine and predetermine tomorrow. The rest of us do not have such power. And in light of that then, you've called us to walk by faith and not by sight, such that despite all any and every privilege you may give us, despite the path we walk, the pain that may come upon us, the planning that we may make, the petitions that we may make, or the persecutions that may come upon us, We are to be consistent in our faith in you because that is the guarantee that we have in this world. That we are on a course that cannot be deterred despite the bumps that would come upon us along the way. And we are grateful that we trust in such a powerful and all-knowing God because in you we have a guarantee. This faith is firm, it's consistent, it's sure such that even though some would die by the edge of the sword and some would survive the very edge of the sword, the same thing must be true of them, that they walked by faith and at the end of the journey it is that which gets them there. Lord, we are grateful to you because this world is filled with anxieties. We often ponder what will happen tomorrow. We often ponder what does it mean to be in you, but we know very well by the reminder of your word that we can trust you and be comforted Because we know that truly, despite all the inconsistencies, we remain in you. And one thing is consistent, our salvation in you. And that in the end, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And for that, oh Lord, we are grateful. And in that, we are able to journey and walk through this life knowing full well that victory is guaranteed despite what we go through here on earth. And for that, we do thank you, Lord. We pray all this believing and trusting in you. Amen.